Okay, Golf WRX, the newest episode of the Gear Dive brought to you by Titleist. I am your host, Johnny Wonder. We're into December, folks. It is December. Well, today is December 2nd, but uh, you'll probably be listening to this on December 3rd. If all goes well, the world doesn't blow up. Uh, but uh, nice to be here once again. But uh, this week we're going to go uh, do something a little different. I kind of like to do these at the end of the year. We're going to do a, a throwback episode, and we're going to go back to the very first one, the very first episode with Larry Bobka where he dispels a ton of the old rumors about Tiger having Mizuno irons, you know, with the title scratched in and, you know, Mira irons and all these different rumors. And he does a really good job of kind of uh, factualizing everything around Tiger's bag, Duval's bag, Davis Love. Like he's got some really interesting stories. Uh, it still is, I think to this day, my biggest show as far as uh, listen count. I mean, it's just a ridiculous amount of people listen to this show. Uh, and it was my first one, so it's been all it's been all I guess uphill from there, numbers wise. But uh, it was a really really cool uh, show to do, especially as my first one. I used to watch Larry uh, try to figure out who he was and what he was working on constantly for you know twenty plus years. I saw him for the first time at uh, Sahali in nineteen ninety eight. I tell the story all the time, and he was following around Brad Faxon and David Duval with a bunch of. Uh, three woods that he was testing with Duval, a bunch of 970 heads, and my eyes were just fixated on this guy with Oakley glasses that uh, David and Brad Faxon seemed to be very engaged with, and I wanted to know who he was and what he did, and you know, I finally got him on my show 20 years later, and now he's a, now he's a good friend of mine. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Larry Bobka, um, you know, old Titleist uh, tour uh, tour manager. But uh, the one thing I do want to discuss before we get into is the holidays are coming up, and I want to know what everybody's doing about your irons. Obviously, the new drivers and everything's coming out, but uh, I've been very vocal about my love and affection for the T100 irons from Titleist. They are the best uh, multi-material player's iron they've ever made, hands down, and they've made some some pretty awesome ones. I would compare it to uh, almost as strong as my affections for the 962Bs is how much I love the T100. Uh, it's, a, it's an awesome iron, and it's an iron that uh, you can play for a long time. It's forgiving. It looks great. It's obviously got the tour performance. A ton of guys on tour have it. Um, so if you get a chance, go to Titleist.com and get fit for a set of T100 or T100S for the people that have a, need a little bit of help with some launch angle and uh, controlling their dynamic loft. They, uh, they went ahead and just made you a set with some stronger lofts, uh, which is an awesome idea, uh, which I think you'll see a lot more of. But uh, you got to get fit. you got to get tuned up. So if you get a chance, check out the whole entire T series from Titleist. You have T100, T200, T300, and the Mega. Just can't miss them. Tennis racket T400s. They're all great irons. There is a uh, T series iron for every player out there. So go to Titleist.com, get fit, have fun, have a great holiday uh, with some new Titleist sticks. If you're in an area where you can still play golf, and if you are, uh, I envy you. Uh, but anyway, let's get uh, let's, let's let's look back at this episode with Larry. Uh, it was an honor to do this one. It was my first one. Uh, we always remember our first one. So uh, it's Johnny Wonders, the Gear Dive, brought to you by Titleist. Have a great rest of the week and. Uh, Let's look back on this one. Here we go. Mr. Larry Bobka, happy Monday to you, Larry. Happy Monday to you. It's uh, it's rainy Jupiter, Florida right now. Which is the polar opposite. I'm in Toronto, and it's been, uh, you know, all due respect, hell on earth for the last three months, and now it's sunny and, and shiny here. So uh, um, it's uh, nice to know that. That we get it today, and you, you, you're going to have to be in the rain for a little while. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> no worries. The fairways were getting a little too firm, and the greens were hard to hold, so we're, we're happy for the rain. Well, there's no golf being played here yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Good. Um, 
so, you know, I was kind of opening up the show. This is, you know, we spoke beforehand. This is, this is the first, the first show. This is the prototype. You're, you're guest Uno Nuno. So uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the, the, the spirit of this show is we're just going to get into, uh, you know, some deep dives on, uh, on your career and, and your experience working with the top players in the world. And, um, and just kind of get into it. So I think, you know, I think to start, let's just start from the beginning, if you don't mind. I mean, if you can just, you know, kind of elaborate a little bit on, on where you came from and, and, and how, how we ended up here on this podcast at this point. Uh, if you want to give us the, uh, the cliff notes of your life. <laughs> uh, I, I will, I will, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because otherwise at my age, it could take for, it could take hours. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, you know, basically I, I, you know, grew up in the Chicagoland area. was a was a pretty decent high school junior golfer. Uh, played in college. Uh, wasn't a very good student, so college wasn't really my thing. And ended up um, the golf course that I grew up at ended up uh, becoming a uh, golf professional there, an assistant pro, and and did a lot of teaching. And um, you know, through that started understanding what it took to uh to get people to play better and you know back you know we're talking early 80s so that was kind of the infancy of club fitting uh and then had a great fortune um in 1984 to go to work for wilson uh, and worked for bob mandrella and joe phillips two two of the light two of the legends in this industry as far as promotion and club design and was very fortunate to design some product and work with some of the best players in the world. Was very fortunate to meet before they died, uh, Saracen, Patty Berg, Sneed, um, Venturi, uh, really got it, really had a good chance to meet a lot of the real legends of the game. Um, that was still 91, 91 to 95. I helped start UST. Uh, the graphite shaft company, which was, which was great. And then from 95 to 2014, ran golf club promotion for Titleist out of Carlsbad, California. Wow. Uh, quick question for you. Actually, let's go back to the Wilson days, if you don't mind, just to kind of start there. Um, sure. You know, I know, you know, it's 1984 to 1991. So, you know, I don't, I don't know, and I could be misquoting this, but you know, you were involved. You know, the whale driver that that Daly won the um, Daly won the PGA Championship with, and you know, and he was, I believe, at the time he was he was in that driver and playing a playing a pink set of irons, I believe. Um, yeah, but uh, Payne Stewart, just to correct you, Payne Stewart won the PGA. Uh, he won the PGA with the with the whale driver. He won the '89 PGA at Kemper Lakes with the whale. Gotcha, gotcha. And then, were you involved? And in, I, 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 this is just me, a total blast in the past. But the zero iron with John Daly was that was that under your umbrella? Were you were you long gone by that point? Um, he John was John had just started. Actually, John had just come on. Um, you know, on the radar, Wilson had signed him, and I then left to go to UST. And then at UST, because John was playing graphite, he ended up 
uh, we signed a deal with him to play the fire stick shaft. So yeah, I was still very much involved with John back then. So I, I did not make the zero iron for him, but, but uh, I know very well of it. What was, what was it like working with? So, I mean, if you're working with Mandrella and, and, you know, at that time when you were there with Wilson, you know, working with Payne Stewart and I think Bernard Langer was, a, was a staff guy there. Um, yep. You know, you're working with some guys, you know, just to use those two as an example, those are two pretty discerning, you know, not easily adjustable players. You know, you know, Payne Stewart, uh, you know, from from what I've ever heard, was was very challenging to get out of a club and into a new one. Um, you know, at that especially at that time. And Bernhard Longer, obviously, if you go look at his bag picks now, I mean, he guys still hitting the same set of irons that he was playing. <laughs> you know, when he was a kid, from what it looks like. But uh, right. you know, what's it like working? You know, with with guys like that at that time. Um, you know, obviously the, 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 the environment has changed drastically for these days, but back in the day for a guy like you, what does that process look like about bringing something new to a player like that? I mean, what's that like? I mean, it was, it, is it, um, are you only bringing stuff to these guys? If it's something that you know, they're going to switch to, or are you bringing, you know, every new offering to them? How does that work? Well, let's use pain as an example to start. Um, you know, he came in and basically he was signed. He was signed more for Wilson as an umbrella because at the time he was wearing the NFL clothing and with the NFL, with the football, uh, Payne was really, you know, it was important for him to play the golf clubs, but it was more important, uh, from a, from an NFL, from a Wilson brand standpoint. So Payne came in the first day and, and at the time, I believe he was playing an old set of Cobra blades. Um, and he basically came in the first day, didn't even bring his golf clubs and said, uh, you know, uh, said, Hey, well, you know, you're going to build me something. We, we had a room that was, that we like to call the cage and the cage was basically a, uh, I don't know, uh, probably 25 feet by 25 feet block cage that had at the time had ground wedges, had sets of irons had persimmon woods because it was still 84 that we had built for the players that were basically most of them were all cut and ungripped there were a few finished sets of of you know popular models that that guys played on tour and he basically just walked in there pulled a pulled a set off the rack looked at it and said well these are be these will these will work and i said well bill just said he goes no these will these will work <laughs> so we basically just cut him, gripped him, and sent him on his way with with a set of irons and made him up a couple wedges. And he, you know he was not easy to get into stuff, but um, you know he wasn't he wasn't real real picky as far as loft and and loft and lie yes, but as far as as far as blade shape and offset and things, he he really didn't it really didn't matter that much to him. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I think. You know, just in my own research, and you know, we've you and I have talked a little bit about my my history of right. of digging in deep into what these guys are doing. You know, I remember, you know, when he switched over from Wilson to Top Flight and and was transitioning into that. You know, how big that was a big to do because he was going from a forged blade to a cavity back, and what was that going to look like? And that was like the first, you know, that was at that time when a signing, a player signing with a new club company, was actually you know in the news. Um, you right. know, you typically you would show up at the, 
at the Mercedes-Benz Championship or the Tournament of Champions, and if a guy had a staff hat on and you know in December, and all of a sudden he's got a Titleist hat on, that's kind of how you knew he got new clubs. And right. um, you know, I, I Payne's always been sort of an interesting case for me, just because you know even when he won the Open, um, when he won the Open, I guess it was in '99. You know, he was playing an old beat-up set of Mizunos and and you know just a kind of a thrown together set to to the right. to the outsider looking in, but obviously uh, it was something he was comfortable with. So that's the kind of stuff. You know, I don't know. I mean, you had firsthand her firsthand knowledge of of the why and the how of something when you know why something would go into somebody's bag. So taking another staff player from that era, somebody like Bernhard Longer. Um, you know, what was he like to work with? Did you have a lot of interaction knowing that he was a European tour player? Did you have a lot of interaction with somebody like that, or was that more for those guys overseas? No, no, we had a lot of interaction with him. Bernard was one of the guys that loved to have a full offset. So, I mean, his golf clubs, we had to bend, we had to bend extra offset into his golf clubs because he really liked, and because of the way he swing, and, you know, it's a unique action, it's not what you would call a classic move, but it's a very, very efficient golf swing that, as we know, has lasted the test of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he was very much into, um, you know, offset. He liked the idea of almost having a blade, but it, but almost uh, almost as much offset as a set of ping I twos, and that's that's what he found that worked the best for him. Uh, he was also very much into playing Hogan Apex shafts, and and in those days, back in the '80s, you know, uh, True Temper was making the Apex, and you you know it wasn't readily available. You couldn't you couldn't order a set from True Temper. So you know, um, I, I probably shouldn't go into some of the ways that we got <laughs> shafts for him, but we did. <laughs> Got to do whatever it takes. The guy asked for shafts. You got to get him shafts. You know, yeah. accidentally a set or two would fall off the truck. You know, it happened. It's like, uh, well, that's it's like organized crime. Uh, you know, it's like that model. It's <laughs> like uh, you know, things fall off the truck. We use them. Um, that's interesting. Okay, so that's 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 interesting. Um, you know, I know that uh, you speak of offset, which I always thought was a weird thing when I'd see ba- pics of his bag. He had he had a ping I two one iron. You know. Yep in line with his, the rest of his, of, of his Wilson's blade, which I always thought was kind of a funny transition. You know, it's, uh, you never, you didn't see that that often, but, uh, interesting to know that, uh, the offset was his preference. Um, okay. So we're just going to keep going down the line here. Um, so, so then you go from Wilson, you had briefly touched on going and working for, um, working with UST. Um, yep. you know, what shafts today, you know, UST is obviously a big shaft company now. Um, you know, obviously you're you're involved in some of the Easter eggs that probably still the technology probably still lives in, in some of the shaft offerings that we see today from that company. You know, what uh what kind of stuff were you working on with them in that time frame? And what Well, yeah, that that was I mean, we had um you know, at the time the Loomis the Loomis shaft was pretty hot in irons. Mm-hmm. You know, you had you had Davis playing them and Tommy Armour 845s. You had a lot of guys trying heavier graphite shafts. So we came out with the tour weight line, which was about the same weight as that Loomis shaft, uh, but I thought was was better designed. It it was really um, a much better shaft. So those were there. 
we made the shaft called the IT, which um, actually couples used for a while, uh, which was actually a counterbalance shaft before anybody ever really ever talked about counterbalancing a graphite shaft. Um, we worked on a lot of things which turned into before I, before it, it came to market, but the Proforce, you know, the, the Laker shaft, mm-hmm. the, you know, the yellow and purple, whatever you want to call it, uh, was really, we started working on that uh, there. And then we did so much. That was the time where we did so much work for, for OEMs where um, I did so many different programs for OEMs where, where you could take a blank and turn it into four or five flexes so they didn't have to buy four different shafts. They could buy one shaft, and then based on how they tipped it, um, they could use it. I mean, I understood, having worked at, having worked at Wilson, I understood the difficulty of, of, of buying the expense and making it easier for production to, to have a blank that, that made more than one flex. Wow. Interesting. Really interesting. Um, and obviously, with the with the Laker shaft, I mean, it was probably a nice, nice thing to see. I guess that would be probably in ninety, ninety eight or ninety nine. Um, to my recollection, I think it was Sergio won the Byron Nelson or finished second in the Byron Nelson with the Laker shaft. He put it in his nine seven five, which is the first time that I saw it, and I think Furyk had it in there as well. Um, right. So that's probably kind of a nice thing to see some of your guys that you're working with at that time transitioning into that a shaft that you you know you had your thumbprints on uh kind of an interesting interesting transition uh where, well, your, where your past comes into uh to knock on your door again well it was interesting because larry bodel who's who who hired me who started uh ust he was a senior vice president of true temper for years and and when they when he decided to leave there and and start UST with with the guys from Mamiya over in Japan. You know, he he called me up and and we went through that. And when I left to go to Titleist, um, about a year year and a half later, he goes, "Hey, I'm going to FedEx you a shaft. It's it's the Pro Force. We finished it. We've got an idea on the color." And, you know, I respect your opinion, and I'm going to FedEx it and tell me. I opened the box the first time I saw it, and I called him up, and I said, have you lost your mind? <laughs> have you, have you re- but, you know, I was involved with the fire stick back at Wilson, you know, the red and black. We mm-hmm. had, you know, TaylorMade back in the day had the flex twist, which mm-hmm. was silver and black. So there were colored shafts, but nobody ever wanted to really go to that extreme without taking black out of a shaft right. because they were worried. But as a graphite shaft company, as you're battling, I understood the reasons why, having helped start it and, and knowing the difficulties you have, um, he really made a great decision. And, and quite frankly, it was probably um, a decision that a lot of people wouldn't have the guts to do. And, and Larry to this day is still a great friend. I mean, he runs KBS and FST. Uh, he helps design putter shafts for us here at Argolf. So it's, you know, it's been a great relationship. Larry and I have been, have known each other. Um, well, he knew my, he knew my kids before they were my kids. So, and that's been oh, wow. 31 years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you guys are old friends is what you're trying to tell me. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess we're gonna we're gonna transition now into the kind of the meat and potatoes of your career. Uh, with all due respect, okay. ninety five to two thousand fourteen. 
you're you're you know your story's interesting because you had you know we'll get to tiger in a second but you actually had an opportunity when you first got to when you first got to Titleist in 95 you were part of that transition with Davis from Tommy Armour into a Titleist club um where I believe you know and this is where the you know some of our tech geeks are really going to go crazy you know, I believe in, you know, in 95, he played in the Masters, and I think he was using a set of Mizunos. And he I was. think in the Ryder Cup that year, he, he went back to the 845s for the Ryder Cup, and then he was sort of like in that weird kind of area where he was, I think, just about ready to go to Titleist. And and you had a, an interesting opportunity to work with a player that uh, was sort of open to any head shape or any anything. I mean, he went from an 845, which is basically a Ping I-2, to a Mizuno MP29 and then back into an 845, and then you 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 get handed the responsibility of trying to find a Titleist club for this guy. What was that like? I mean, early days with Davis. I mean, what did that look like? You know, when he shows up at your door, or the first time your phone rings and it's Davis Love the Third, and you know you're responsible for figuring out how to get 14 bags in this guy's 14 clubs in this guy's bag. Where does that conversation begin? I mean, what does, what does that sound like? Well, well. You know, at the time, you know, while Wally Uline picked up the phone or sent me an email and said, hey, we're, you know, we're going to sign Davis and we're going to make him a golf club and basically was, you know, make him whatever we need to make him, find out what was going on. So what I did was I actually, and I knew Davis a little bit from my, from my Wilson days and from the UST days, but I didn't really know him all that well. So I actually flew down to um, St. Simon's Island, Sea Island, and spent a couple days with him. And actually the first day was there. Freddie was down there staying at his house. So I basically spent, you know, the first day just sitting talking to, to Davis and Freddie a little bit about golf clubs and, you know, and with them being such good friends, Freddie actually had some insight into what he had seen with, you know, shots from Davis and, and then Freddie left on Monday night and, and the next day Davis and I went out and played golf, um, <laughs> at, uh, ocean forest, which at the time I don't even think was quite open yet. So we got to go out there and play and we just, we just spent some time and we just talked, you know, we just talked about what he liked and what he didn't like from the 845s to the Mizunos and, in kind of what he wanted to see in a golf club. And, um, uh, I remember, um, I remember one thing back from my career at Wilson, um, Joe Phillips at one time brought Tony Penna in before, before Tony passed on and helped me with Woodwoods. And Tony always told me, if you want to be good work making clubs for tour players, you have to learn to look, listen and copy. So I, I just sat there and looked and listened and, and tried to copy what, what I thought he wanted. And, uh, I was very fortunate that, that Titleist was willing to, to do some, you know, to do whatever it takes to make him a golf club. We got some large oversized forgings from Japan. Uh, did a lot of grind work on him, took it over to a machine shop, uh, local in Carlsbad got some cavities cut back in it, cut in him and basically made him the set of golf clubs that he won the PGA with, which is kind of a, 
was kind of a prototype to some of the CBs that that you currently see now. Right. I remember. I remember seeing. I think he won. Um, I believe he won the Buick back in the day. It was the old tour. It was you know he won a Tory with that set. I believe yep. in '96 was the first time, and I think he. And correct me if I'm wrong, but then he sort of played those um, for a little while, but he would swap out, and this is just all based on my Getty Images geek out that I would go back and look, but I mean, he swapped swapped in and out for a little while um, until he finally sort of settled on those in 97. He kind of played those all year, didn't he, when he won? Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did, and and yeah, and it was and it was a transition, and part of the transition for him also was, you know, going from you, you got to remember in college he was a ping I two player, you know he was a cat he was a cast guy in in college, so part of the issue that he had was going up and back between the feel of a cast club versus the feel of a forge club. Right. He ulti- he ultimately knew that he was going to play his best golf with a forge golf club, but it, it took him some time to, um, to figure that out. Right. And, um, you know, and, and fortunately I had the luxury that, you know, it didn't have to be done right away. You know, we had, we actually gave him a year to transition into the golf club. He did it before then. Um, but it was, it was a full-time effort in, in, uh, uh, spent a lot of time on a on a grinding wheel and watching him hit golf balls and and spent a lot of time walking practice rounds, you know. One, getting him comfortable with the golf club, getting him comfortable with, with Titleist, and getting him comfortable with me. Right. So, well, let me ask you a question because I've seen I've been to tour events and I've seen reps follow players. And you know, when those guys, when you guys get huddled up in the middle of a fairway and you know, player pulls a club out of like, what, what's, what's the conversation? Like, it's like a pitcher at the pitcher and a coach at the mound or a catcher and a pitcher at the mound. Like what, when you're in the fairway talking to these guys during a practice round and you're, you know, you're discussing, is it, is it, is it like, you know, how's everything going? How do they feel? Or is it like this thing's, you know, the seven iron keeps going left. We're going to have to bend it up or left or down or whatever. What kind of conversations are taking place? I mean, is there a, is there a stock conversation that happens for you when you're out there with those guys or is it, is it not? I mean, is it just different every single time? Well, it can be different every time, but it's it's fairly it's a fairly stock discussion. And and, and I'll and again I'll, I'll I I refer back to my Wilson days because I learned so much. But I, I still remember working and doing some ball and club testing with Hale Irwin, and Hale's still a good friend to this day. And Hale would sit there and go, you know, Larry, I don't care about the engineering. Um, he used some more flowery language than that. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't really care about the engineering. I don't really care about all the components. All I care about is when I put that golf club down behind the ball, when I've got to hit a five iron for the 72nd hole at the United States Open, I've got to like the way that golf club looks. And I have to be confident that it's going to perform the way it's swung and that, you know, that pretty much, if, if you take that as the mantra for working for tour, play, working with tour players, then, then the conversations become, Hey, how's the set feeling? You know, what's happening? Are the long irons performing the way they're supposed to? Are the short irons, are there any tendencies? Are there, you know, so then you end up working with to the point where now it starts becoming, okay, the shape's right, but 
do we need to do a little work on the soul? Does it need a little more offset? You know, are the loss, you know, is it performing? You know, their expectation is when they hit a golf shot, they look up at that window of where the trajectory is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. If it's not in, if it's not in that window, then we have to fix something. Right. Okay. So that, I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, it sounds kind of basic, but it, but it's just like, I mean, it's just like a 15 handicapper who buys a new hybrid or buys a new set of irons. You know, your expectation is when you swing and when you look up, you want to see that ball in your window, your, your flight window. And that's a, that's exactly what tour players want. Right. And that's ultimately what builds trust, right? Which is the ultimate, uh, right. the ultimate compliment, I think, of, uh, of any player talking about their clubs is they trust them. Um, so, okay. So we're going to transition from, from Davis, um, quick question on working with David Duval. Um, you know, I know you, you know, you, you, before Vokey came on, on the scene, you, you had your own line of forged wedges that, uh, were kind of the Bobka introduction into, into wedges and some beautiful wedges. And I don't know if our listeners really remember. I do. I actually had one. I had the Faxon wedge. Uh, and it was literally because it, it was a ported wedge and I'd never seen one before. And I thought it was a really cool thing <laughs> to have a wedge with holes in it. Cause I saw Freddie at a tournament with holes in his wedge. So I felt like I needed one too. Um, what was that process like? I mean, that was an interesting, uh, it was sort of, I don't want to say it went under the radar, but it, it was, it's, it's sort of a time and titleist. And I think a lot of it has to do with how strong Vokey came on and how popular that got really quickly. But what was that process like? I mean, developing those wedges and, and that initiative for you, um, that had to be, you know, not only interesting, but actually kind of nerve wracking. I mean, it's your, you know, they're your, it's like introducing a a book or, you know, a painting out to the world. I mean, what was that like for you with that, with with those wedges? The thing about it was when I got there, I mean, I basically had to kind of take stock of what we had. You know, at the time they were making DCIs. They were working on titanium with the howitzer. They had Starship Metalwoods. You know, the the line of, uh, I guess, the line of Titleist golf clubs, although fairly popular and performed pretty well, weren't exactly called players golf clubs. So I basically kind of took stock of what we had. Uh, we were going to sign these players. We were, you know, we were talking with, you know, we're talking with Tiger. You're talking with Davis. They want to sign Duval coming out. Now you're looking and going, okay, what do I have to make golf clubs with? What can I find quickly to make golf clubs with? And then, you know, we'll see what we did. So um, I actually took a flight down or took a flight from California to to Millington, Tennessee, where Hoffman Forge, which has made, mm-hmm. which used to make golf clubs for years and years for, for Wilson and for every, and I went down there and saw what they had from a standpoint of wedges and said, Hey, we, I don't have any wedges for anybody. Um, so they had two or three open models that I, that I could purchase and, and make some golf clubs out of. So that was really how that, that wow. basically came out of the need for, um, these players wanting some, these players wanting some wedges. Right. So Interesting. I just took care. Yeah. I just took, I just took care of them that from that standpoint. <laughs> um, so that, that's where those came from. And then they kind of turned into a, a little bit of line that, Hey, we don't have a real wedge offering. Why don't we make a few of these? Why don't we make a fax in? 
in a strange and a Duval and an Elkington and kind of, kind of bridge the gap before we try to do something full on with wedge designs. Which in, in, in turn created the Bob, the Bob Vokey uh, extravaganza, uh, right. which, which is, you know, another interesting story. And, you know, hopefully we'll get him on to talk about more about his, his history at some point, but, um, and, and, and you should, you yeah, well should. I'm going to stay away from, from Vokey right now, just because it's, it's a, it's a rabbit. It's an awesome rabbit hole that we could be here for hours. But, um, Okay, so we're going to get into uh, one last question before I get to Tiger. Uh, what was it like working with David Duval? Um, he was always, from an equipment standpoint, he was always very interesting to me, as, as, as are a lot of players. But um, he seemed like somebody that, you know, I know how discerning of a, of a palate Tiger Woods has. But Duval, oddly enough to me, seemed like an, a guy that, that was very, very in tune with his clubs uh, as well. Um, just specifically, you know, the, the the action that he had was very, very unique. But uh, he was also a great striker of the golf ball and seemed to really have a true understanding of of what he needed to do to win. Uh, what was it like working with him from a, you know, from a builder standpoint? I mean, he was in he was in the nine six two Bs and the old DCI two yeah. and three iron forever before he switched to Nike. Um, you know, what was he like to work with? I mean, did you did, did you have did, was he a guy that you had to pay a lot of attention to, or was he kind of like a lone wolf? No, no, he, he needed, he, like any top player, you need to pay attention to him. He was good to work with. I mean, from a standpoint of, he, he was kind of an interesting, I mean, and he really was where the 962Bs came from because we didn't really have a, the 962DCI was a little, you know, it was a little bit too much soul weighted. It was a little too big, a little bit too much offset. So we ended up making the bees basically baked for him. And if you look at a set of bees, the sole has really the the back part of the heel is really pulled down. Right. I played him for you know. three years. The best irons I ever had was uh, well, the best irons that I ever played when I was playing a lot were those. I had them. I wore holes in the middle of them, so I I can personally relate to those irons. <laughs> Yeah, so he, I mean, that was a lot of work because of the, because of his action, because of the face being, you know, closed at the top and him holding on through. He didn't like any heel in the golf club and especially he got into firmer conditions. If he had some heel in the golf club, the, the club would tend to turn left and he, he couldn't get that little baby fade that he would try to hit. So, right. um, for him, the soul, the soul and the lie of the golf club was very important. Um, was extremely important for him being kind of a low launcher. That's why the two and the three iron were always, were always the DCI bees because they had sole weight and they flew up in the air better for him. Right. So, uh, so from a standpoint of, of, of working with him, it, it's just unique. I mean, everybody's just so different, um, <laughs> as far as their, as far as their actions and what they need. You know, making a set, you know, a lot of times you'd make a set of golf clubs for somebody and go, oh, man, I love those things. And and somebody try them in a practice round. Oh, make me a set. And then you make a set for them. And, you know, about a week later, you get a phone call going, oh, these didn't work at all. And I'm like, well, I, I kind of figured they wouldn't. But, you know, that, you know, but you got to try them. So, sure. yeah, he was yeah, very discerning. You know, again, a low launcher, tend to spin the ball a little bit more than most players. Um, but you know, a, a marvelous talent, great feel. I mean, 
arguably, I, I mean, I remember watching some practice rounds with him, watching somebody go, man, I've never seen anybody hit irons that good right. consistently all the time. Yeah, he was, uh, oh, man, at his best, he was, he, I've, I've, I saw him a couple of times, and it's, uh, you know, there's certain guys out there that just hit it differently than the rest of the world, and he was one of those guys that was just like, oh, my, this is, he's superhuman. Um, right. Okay, so now it's, uh, you know, it's Tiger time. 1996, okay. end of 96, he's, you know, signs a big, big contract with uh, Tyler Sakushinit. Obviously a big responsibility. It's kind of all hands on deck getting him uh, into a bag of Titleist clubs, um, which I, is from what it sounds like, he probably had the same kind of deal that Davis did where he had about a year to transition into something. Um, Correct. What was it like? you know, working with somebody like that because he's a little younger, he hasn't played on tour yet. So he's still, you know, obviously a, a player that knows what he needs and knows what he wants. But at the same time, it's a kid in a candy store. What, what's it like working with somebody like Tiger? Like, what was that? What was that time like uh, from 96? I guess it, ultimately in the 98 is when he first, I think you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys actually got a set of irons in the winter of 97 um, got us an actual set of Titleist irons and some wedges into his bag for the 98 season. Um, right. What was that like? I mean, how, how difficult was that transition and, and what was the first type of set that you guys were looking at? I mean, how did that work? Well, uh, you know, the transition was, was not easy. Um, it was, you know, one, because of who he was in the contract and, you know, the sales reps and, you know, a little bit of pressure that, hey, this is the, this is, you know, arguably one of the best players ever. We need to get him in clubs right away. Um, so you feel a little bit of pressure there. But as far as working with him, um, I never felt the pressure because one of the reasons um, was because of Butch Harmon. Mm. Um, I was very fortunate um, through my days at UST to create a very close uh, friendship with Dick Harmon, mm. which uh, Dick, you know, uh, rest in peace, was one of my best friends in the golf industry. And um, so I had a very close relationship with the Harmons. So I flew down to spend a couple days with Tiger and Butch at Isleworth and basically just went through the same thing, you know, went on the back of the range and sat there and talked to um, to Tiger and to Butch and, you know, hey, what what are we looking for? What do you want to feel? What do you want to look at? What kind of shots what kind of shots are not in the clubs that you currently have that, that you guys are working on? I mean, so from that standpoint, I mean again it's you know, it's the look, listen and copy. Right. It's basically just going there and, and trying to discern exactly what the player wants. In, in how to do that, you know, do you make one set of clubs and, you know, try to keep hang your hat on there? Or I went from the old school, which, again, I'm going to refer back to my Wilson days. I mean, back in the day, we would make three sets of club, three sets of irons for a player. Right. Somebody like Hale Irwin. And, you know, you make three sets of clubs and they would hit all the three irons and all the four irons and all the five irons. And then they would pick their gamer set from, you know, those three three irons. You know, they would pick the the A set, and then the B set would be 
the B set would be their backup set, and the C set they probably gave away to their buddy. Right. <laughs> we didn't care um, because that was the way, you know, because golf clubs are individuals, and especially back then. I mean, now there's a lot more technology as far as measuring golf clubs, but to me, golf clubs are still works of art. Uh, they're not right. – they're – you, you can put all the science you want into it, but to me, it's all about the lines and the performance. And so I was very fortunate that I had the help of Butch to to understand that. And I just spent a lot of time listening and, and trying to discern what, what he wanted. And, um, you know, it worked out pretty well. I mean, yeah, we, we, made a, we made a couple of go-arounds. I, I still have – I mean, he sent me – actually, I remember one time he, he called me up tiger called me up and he said hey he goes this old guy gave me this old set of hogan apexes and i'm on the range and i'm just killing these he goes i'm fedexing these and i want you to take a look at these and i still have that i still have that set to this day which was an old set of hogan apexes that um but he liked the look of it he liked the offset of it he liked the sole of it which was a little bit um a little bit different than what we were going to do um, one of the things that he needed because he had so much speed and he had such a flat spot at the bottom of the swing, he needed bounce. He needed more bounce than, than the normal player. Right. Uh, you know, so, so there was things that, you know, we put in and, and, um, my, my wife likes to refer to me sometimes as this old sage Indian tracker who <laughs> watches people hit golf clubs and, and you read the dirt. Right. Um, and, but that's how I learned. You, you, you learned how to read the dirt. I mean, I, I remember being back in the early 80s and in middle 80s, and guys would still, you know, there, there were fledgling equipment trucks out there. Right. There wasn't much in equipment trucks out there. I mean, guys would still go and, you know, they'd bang it against the concrete side to bend the loft and lie on their clubs. I mean, it, yeah, that's it not was, how it is it, today. <laughs> uh, no, it's a lot. It's a lot different now. So. so what? So you get. So how do you land on? I mean, the, the the famous set that he had was the you know the Titleist. I guess it was a six eighty one, you know, Tiger yep. set. How old? Because I, I believe that that's what he ended up landing on and playing from you know two thousand to two thousand one into two thousand two. I think is when he switched to the Nike blades. How did you land right. on that set? How did you ultimately land there? Because uh, I don't think there was a lot of a lot of changes once he got into that set. I think he kind of stuck with that one. That was kind of his his baby. Uh, how did you? No, land we there? we ended up we ended up finding that uh, that actually we had a couple of the old box blade um, Titleist forgings had enough had enough bounce and enough material for us to grind in what he was looking for. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the original the original sets were made out of those. And then and then after we landed on a shape and the bounce and everything that he wanted, then we ended up just um, you know taking the set over overseas um, and getting them and get them made by uh, the six eighty ones made by Endo. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, that'll 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 buzz on the forums because uh, there's always that you know that that urban legend of of Tiger you know uh, Mizuno made his irons and and you know they scratched Titleist on it and there's all these you know you hear all this kind of crazy crazy stuff so uh, you just probably answered uh, quite a bit of questions that people are going to have I um, never 
I never put it. I never put a name. I never put a title as. I never put a title as name on a Mizuno iron. So, so you're, that, you're that, here that is here. that is that is urban legend. You heard it on GolfWRX.com. Um, okay, last question. Um, I guess it's kind of rip, you know, for for all the players, and this is where I started to notice the the tour issue prototype things you know and and, you know we follow each other on instagram and you've seen some of my posts but the 970 fairway wood was sort of like this weird mystical creature that that you know would float around that some of the some of the the head pros at clubs that were on title of staff would get one you know like a the random 17 degree forward that they could get their hands on and you know how what was that thing what was the 970 was it a pt that was just with with a different label or what exactly was that cuz it made it in to some serious bags and obviously tiger tiger made that thing famous multiple times uh what's the story behind that i mean was it what was it exactly well yeah 970 again that when i when i got to titleist i basically took stock of everything like i said with the wedges and the irons and you know we we had this the starship metalwood which wasn't a very attractive looking golf club to a <laughs> to a discerning player mm-hmm. and I, I you know i went back in the factory one time and i was going back and i was digging through boxes and and all of a sudden i found a bunch of these old 970 fairway woods and i'm like wow you know maybe i can do something with these i remember these these were kind of little rocket ships right and i remember the next day curtis strange was coming in because we had signed curtis and curtis comes in and he's like what do you got in fairway woods and i pulled these things out and he looks and he's like that's perfect i love that he goes that's a great shape you know he played the maramon conductor Conductor, metal wood with yeah, which was, you know, very much similar shape. And he's like, oh, these things are great, you know, and you could bend them around. So so all of a sudden, you know, we brought the 970s back out, and I used a bunch of old stock for the tour. Um, we didn't even, we weren't even selling them at the time. Well, then it was like, okay, well, we've got this. We're starting to run out of them. Why don't we just take the, why don't we just take the original molds, change the sole plates, to 970, you know, give it a little bit different finish. And that's basically what the 970 was. I mean, it was just a, it was a PT with a different, it was a PT with a different sole plate and, and a different finish. Wow. Wow. Uh, I just, uh, that, that for my, I guess I, that was in my teens or, you know, maybe late teens, early twenties when that was all going down. And I remember being at Sahali in 98 and, Duval well, had thank my- you, thank you for thank you for making me feel very old right now. Hey, it's uh, it's all brotherly love. But uh, I remember '98 in Sahali watching Duval pull as uh, Duval and Harrison Frazier were playing a practice round together, and they both pulled off their head covers to hit three wood on one of the holes, and they both had these, you know, super yep. duper charged up looking Titleist fairway woods, and I remember just being completely transfixed in what they were and trying to, you know, scurry around to get a better look. And, and that was sort of my, uh, my quest to get my hands on one. I never, I never did, but I wanted one bad. So, uh, thank you for that little blast from the past. Cause you just, uh, yeah, for this golf fan, well, the just, product, uh, I mean, it's a nice story. The, the product eventually, you know, the product originally the nine seventy because it was a, it was a low spinning golf club. You know, really didn't really didn't sell very well, 
because you know to the masses it wasn't it, it wasn't an easy club to hit right but when it's um, but when it was put in the hands of a high speed player it really turned into a rocket ship right. and then like for tiger you know for tiger and a few of the other guys we we bored them through to the bottom and actually put taper tip steel shafts in them that's right so yeah they, yeah they actually had you know, because guys were coming off of Woodwoods like Davis and, and a lot of players were still, you know, had barely given up their, their persimmon woods, which were tape, which were taper tip. And, you know, most metal woods were, were, were virtually all metal woods other than the Hogan apexes that were the Hogan metal woods that were taper tip apex shafts. Right. There was no taper tip metal woods back then. And, and, so players like the feel of that that taper tip wood shaft as a transition. So that's where the that's where you see some of those bore throughs because that's um, you know that's it, it just came out of it came out of the players' feel right feel and ball flight. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's some serious info. So we're going to leave that point in your life. Uh, I I think uh, we could spend another day or two on that topic, but we're going to move on. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you're doing now. Um, our golf. How did that start? Give me, give me the skinny on, on all that. Looks like you know, on the website, um, just doing the research for this interview, it looks like you guys are doing some really beautiful things. Um, but, yeah, just kind of tell me about what you're excited about now and what, what you guys are doing over there in Jupiter. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I'll tell you a quick story how I got here, and then I'll tell you what we're doing. I actually, after I had left Titleist, had moved up into the Green Bay area to be closer to my parents because of uh, my dad's failing health, which he's okay. He's he's better now, so that's good. That's good. Um, but um, I ended up I was I was actually the the lead coach for the first tee of Northeast Wisconsin, which was great to spend a lot of time was kind of back to my roots as being a golf pro and spending twelve fourteen hours on the tee working with kids and and uh, you know it, I really enjoyed it and uh, through a friend through a friend of a friend um, got a phone call about our golf about these guys coming over from France. Um, yes, for Parnovic won a, a champions tour event a couple of years ago with a putter. They were looking for somebody to do fitting, run the operation. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm a little burned out from, from companies, but do me a favor, send me a couple putters and I'll, you know, I'll hit them and I'll, I'll see what I think. So they sent me a couple putters. I went out to the club I was teaching at, hit a couple putts and I'm like, Oh geez, I think I'm getting back in the business. I just <laughs> I love the feel of the putters. I, I love it. I flew I flew down here and spent basically three days playing golf with the owner and his wife and um really hit it off with them and it was just it was just good timing in my life to to, you know, give it one more shot. And it was also it's the very rare opportunity that you get where you can you can take everything that you've learned, the contacts you've made, and um, really really put it to use in a job. And, and I've been very fortunate here, and I really love it. Um, in fact, 
Trevor Dodds was just in a few minutes ago. He's he's using our putter now. He's down here in Florida, you know, trying to play Champions Tour golf. And, uh, you know, we were just sitting there talking about the Wilson days and ultra metal woods that, that I designed that he played for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's kind of some days it's, some days it's a trip down, uh, trip down memory lane. And other days it's bringing in a bunch of young new players and, and teaching people and teaching people about what they should do with their putting and making them some really cool putters. That's exciting. That's really exciting. I mean, and I guess I, I have to ask the question. I mean, what, what separates our golf uh and just for the for the listeners you can go to our golf it's a r g o l f puttinglab.com uh that's Larry's company um they're over in Jupiter Florida but back to back to the question i mean what what exactly for for somebody that's been in the business for a while like what makes these guys stand out like what in this putter or what in the design of the putter or what in the fitting process of these putters in your opinion, is is a little bit different than what's out there. Uh, you know, in, that's a little bit more popular. Like, what do you, you know, where does your passion right. lie for this? Well, we use either solid blocks of of three hundred four or three sixteen German stainless steel okay. for our blade line. We use seventy one seventy five aircraft aluminum for our mallets. There are no inserts. Everything is milled on a five-axis mill from solid blocks, so they are not skin milled. They are they are totally milled from scratch. They give tremendous feel, tremendous feedback. Um, I've been very fortunate, like with my connection with with Larry Larry Bodel at at FST KBS, to to get shafts that match up really well with the putters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, grips we won't talk about. Our stock grip is a Lampkin, uh, the deep etch putting grip, uh, which I've known Bob Lampkin Jr. since we were probably both in first grade. Right. Um, and, but, you know, there's all kinds of putting grips. We could spend a couple of days on putting grips if we wanted to. Yeah. But our, and we have the unique ability here because we have a Quintech ball roll machine, which you need to go online and, and check out the Quintech ball roll, which you can have the most beautiful putting stroke, but if your ball roll isn't any good, um, you're not going to make putts. So I have, I have a wonderful tool, um, and I get the, the opportunity to take a lot of the information that I've learned through the years as, as an instructor and as a tour rep um, and, and put it to use. So when somebody walks in here and says, you know, I've been putting for 30 years and I've never putted very well, um, they walk out the door with, with a handle on why they haven't putted well, what's going to help them putt well, and where they can, where, where their next step is. And I have a lot of very happy customers. Um, and it just, it just helps roll into our line. Um, the 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 fitting philosophy and just some beautiful some beautiful mallets and beautiful blades and um that's you know that's pretty much it i that's mean it's it, yeah. kind of that it's it's kind of that in a nutshell but um i i i have very like i said trevor dodge just left trevor came in last week actually trevor and jc anderson came in wow and uh trevor actually 
Trevor has my putter, actually. <laughs> he, has, but he, has, he has my own personal one that, that we sent out to, uh, to a company to get a different finish on it. And um, he grabbed it. He hit a few putts with it. And he's like, whose is this? And I go, well, I guess it's yours now. Yeah, it's gone now. It's not your putter anymore, Larry. Got, yeah, got it's, not mine, it's not mine anymore. <laughs> um, but, okay. Go ahead. No, but that's 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 what we're about, and and you know it's really about um, everything is everything is built to custom. Um, we we're branching out to we're branching out to other places. Really, you know, in the next couple of years here, uh, our golf is going to be. Um, you know, we might never be the biggest brand, but we hope to be the best brand. That's a good way to go. That is a good way to go. Um, question that i've been dying to ask you of all the clubs that you have built and all the things that have come across your desk and that you've been involved in what is, what are what is your favorite or what's what are you most proud of without the stock answer of uh you know the next club that you build or, or what you're doing now but is there one golf club that you've built for a player that you really are very very proud of or one that, that just symbolizes something big for you well, I, I, um, there's a couple, and and I would say the 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 Wilson Whale, without a doubt, the the laminated driver was um, it was different for the time. I mean, basically, Joe Phillips walked in and said, "Hey, we need an oversized we need an oversized driver. You know, let's find let's find a model that looks pretty good." We pulled out a an old 1931 Gene Saracen persimmon Wilson Wood and said, hey, let's make this as big as we could. It, it was a tremendous amount of work and tremendous amount of satisfaction. And, you know, and, and Payne Stewart won a, won a major with it. Mm-hmm. So I would say that is, that is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I would say probably Davis's handmade, hand-ground irons, um, that he won a major with, we're, we're definitely um, extremely proud of those. Um, but it, it, you know, I, I guess I guess I'm like a lot of the the guys that that I knew and that I learned from. It's it's every golf club you make, whether it's winning a major championship or, I mean, I just had a lady win win a. They played a big uh, international uh, team event down at PGA National, and she just told she just emailed me this morning about the 22 footer that she made <laughs> on the 22nd hole of the match to win it all. Um, that that's you know that's why we make golf clubs. That's why we do what we do. Uh, what a way to end it. Uh, we went about a half hour over what you and I talked about. I just couldn't. I couldn't hang up the phone. I want to thank you first uh, for being my first guest. What an honor! Um, and you, you know, obviously gave us a lot of, uh, for me personally, a lot to chew on and a lot to be excited about. Um, but uh, if you want to find Larry at our golf, once again, it's argolfputtinglab.com. A R G O L G O L F puttinglab.com. Uh, they're in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, you can go on their website. A lot of cool, very very cool website, Larry. Um, but go on, go on down and see him. Um, and uh, you know, you guys just got uh, some insight from one of the masters, one of the uh, one of the Obi Wan Kenobi's in the business. So, uh, what a great way! What a great way to kick off this podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. And 
at some point I'll make the pilgrimage down to Jupiter and come see and come see this uh, see this putting lab. I'm excited. Absolutely, and I I appreciate the opportunity, and I I feel like it's an honor too to to be number one. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I I enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, I I enjoy. I enjoy passing along the real information about what happens and what had happened because I'm a, just a firm believer that, uh, you know, the, the way to get motivated, people motivated and, and keep playing golf is to, uh, to bring some of the past into, into the future. So, yes, sir. uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity, um, to, uh, to talk today and, um, more than happy to do it when you need me again. Uh, well, trust me, I'll, uh, I have more questions, so we'll be bringing you back on at some point. Um, Larry, have a great week, and uh, thank you so much from GolfWRX.com. I appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, so that was an hour with Larry Bobka. Supposed to be 25 minutes with Larry Bobka. We went for an hour. Could have gone for nine hours. Just got to listen to it. I could go on and on about what we learned here. Um, but that was a guy boots in the ground for a very, very, very exciting time for golf fans in, in equipment and, and in play with Tiger and Davis and David Duvall and uh, Payne Stewart. And, you know, I learned some stuff. I thought he was, uh, you know, part of the zero iron and in and, and, and John Daly's career. Um, he was kind of gone after the fact. We learned in the podcast. Um, you know, it's the first episode. All my information is not going to be perfect, but uh, it will get perfect at some point. Um, big week coming up, Zurich Classic PGA Tour. Uh, I believe that's the team play, a lot of interesting matchups. Um, it's going to be a fun what's in the bag on Monday. Um, but uh, Also wanted to make sure that uh, the listeners from this podcast, um, two guys talking golf, Andrew Tursky and Brian, uh, Brian Knutson, um, their show, which is a fun, spontaneous, just two dudes talking about golf having a lot of fun um, in the studio over at Golf WRX over in Dearborn. Um, and then uh, we also have the 19th hole of Michael Williams, who I believe just interviewed Gary Player. Um, we're just doing them. We're doing the podcast. We're doing the podcast thing. And I, uh, I think we're going to have all bases covered here. So it is an interactive conversation. You can find me at an uh, uh, Instagram handle for me is at uh, at Johnny Golf WRX, J O H N N Y G O L F W R X. And for the big handle, it's at Golf WRX. Um, and that's where you find us in social media with Instagram and um, lots of pictures and fun stuff and um, just content, man. Lots of content. It's a content game. Um, but show one in the can, Larry Bobka. Guest one, the prototype. I hope you guys enjoyed. It was a blast to, to try and give it to you. Have a great week. And uh, lots to track. GolfWRX.com. Go to the site. And it's a rabbit hole, man. It's a deep, awesome, endless rabbit hole of golf awesomeness. Have a great week. It's Johnny Wonder signing off.